Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. Our Sunday services have now moved online and you can tune in every week for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon by going to christchurchlondon.org forward slash church hyphen at hyphen home. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. Christchurch London and hello to others who are tuning into our service today. My name is Lars and I am one of the leaders of Christchurch London. This spring we have focused on the spirit-filled life and it's been quite a journey. Of course we would experience a subject like this very differently depending on our experiences and spiritual background. Some of us may still be asking ourselves whether there is a God or not, and therefore this whole focus on how to live with the Spirit may seem like quite a mouthful. For others, uh, this experience is perhaps quite different. Some of us may simply enjoy to be reminded of well-known teachings about the life of the Spirit. For other of us, there may be some tensions going on. This could be the tension between what I hear and then my sense of life as I experience it. So I hear about the power of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the unity of the Spirit, the amazing work of the Spirit in us and through us. And then at the same time, I'm cross with my roommate for not taking out the trash for the third time. And I'm wondering whether I should take him out. I am nervous about losing my job. And instead of joy in the Spirit, I feel at best some inner kind of numbness or I lose my temper with the children and I'm wondering whether they would be better off without me. And on and on it goes. It doesn't fit very well with all these wonderful things about the life of the Spirit. Now does it? Some of us who are wondering about faith would perhaps ask, well, Can the Christian faith help me with all these kinds of things going on? Can it sort me out? And interestingly, some of us who consider ourselves Christians would ask, since I seem to keep falling through, does my faith really work? And depending on how we are wired, some of us would be tempted to say, faith works, but for some reason not for me. And other of us would simply say that the gap between the Christian claims and the reality of life is too big and it makes me wonder about the whole thing. Now, what does the Bible have to say about this? Well, many things, of course, and some other time we may spend more time on it. But for now, let's focus on one sentence written by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Galatians. He says, since we live by the Spirit, Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, what does he mean by this? Well, by the first sentence, I believe Paul is referring to how we came to faith. The biblical teaching about this is quite clear. Faith comes from hearing the word of God, and it is the Holy Spirit making the word come to life. This is the principle seen in creation when God spoke his word over that which was empty and dark. And as his words engaged with the Holy Spirit who was hovering over the waters, creation of new life came into being. 
The principle is clear. It's all God's doing by his word and by his spirit. And we and the creation are recipients. We are not producers. I was quite young when I had this experience myself. I was brought up in a Christian home and I had heard the Bible stories from since before I could walk. At one point, I found myself on a Christian retreat with a bunch of other children. And as usual, there would be meetings. And this particular night was no different from any of the other nights or any of the other countless of times I had been to meetings and heard the Bible stories. But as the preacher this evening told the well-known story, it suddenly felt very, felt very different. My heart simply responded and it almost felt like fire in my heart, something like that. Everything was the same and yet it was as if everything was different. And I knew I had to respond to this. That became the night where I, with a little bit of help from one of the adults, prayed a simple prayer and invited Jesus into my heart. He clearly knocked and I was eager to let him in. I didn't choose this particular night. I hadn't decided to pay particular attention. Actually, I was more preoccupied with keeping an eye on the girl I was madly in love with. This was all God. It was all his doing. Spiritually, I came alive that evening. In Ephesians, Paul puts it like this. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So we can't reduce faith. We can't earn ourselves the right to faith. It is by grace and it is all done by the Spirit. Now, if you're exploring faith, well, this is how it happens. You can't produce any of it yourself. None of us can. But when your heart is moved by what you are hearing, you can invite God in. And for us who have been found by faith, Perhaps today is a good opportunity for us to be reminded that this was how it really happened, which is what Paul does with the Galatians in this letter. He's reminding them and he says, now, since we live by the spirit, since this was how new life began, let us keep in step with the spirit. In other words, let's continue as we have started. It is the same kind of life. And God doesn't change his tactics. This was the problem with the people Paul was writing to in this letter. They had changed direction. They had chosen to continue in a different way than the way their new life had begun. Basically, misled by some false teachers, they had decided to play a much bigger role in this new Christian life of theirs. In a way, they had decided to take over control themselves. Now they wanted to be the producers of a good Christian life. Paul is abundantly clear about what happens when we try to take over the control. He says it makes us open to what he calls the desires of the flesh. And he gives some examples of what that might be. He talks about sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. So this is obviously not a complete list, even though some of us would say it's long enough. Now, what are the common denominators here? Well, there's something about self-centeredness. 
something about relationship breakdown, something about being governed by destructive emotions, and definitely something about giving into excessive ways of numbing ourselves. Now, if you had asked the Galatians if this was what they wanted, you would no doubt have heard a very loud no. Actually, the reason why they took control was partly to avoid these things. Now, Paul's claim is that if we do the opposite of taking control, the opposite of what the Galatians did, if we keep in step with the Spirit, if we continue as we have begun, as recipients of the grace of God, then our desires will be the very opposite of that list. And we will see the desires and the fruits of the Spirit, which basically is love, expressed in joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And probably this list is not complete either. In his book, Live Like Jesus, Potty Potman, who is a teacher and leader at a vineyard church in the U.S., puts it like this. He says, so the reason we may struggle to live the Christian life is that we try to do it on our own. We disagree with God about what Christ has done and exclude his empowering of us before we even ask for it. So what kind of Christian life are we leading? Is it a duty-driven way of living our Christian life? If it is, we will find ourselves constantly prone to listen for what we should or shouldn't do. We would have these big inner I ought to or I should machines that keep driving us until we are completely fatigued. If that is what is driving us, we keep only hearing half of the gospel story. The Bible certainly gives us a very clear guideline for how God intended life to be lived. This is for us to flourish and for creation and community to flourish as well. But the Bible is also very clear that this is something we can't produce. We had the chance. That was the Old Testament rule-driven society. But all it told us was that we couldn't make it. That when it came to bettering ourselves, we as human beings are pretty powerless. The new covenant laid out in the New Testament is crystal clear. It is all on God. When Paul writes his letters, he always starts by focusing on who God is, what God has done for us by sending Jesus, and what that means to who we are. And then, and not until then, comes the part where he describes the sort of life that naturally flows from the life and identity we receive by the Spirit. So, according to Paul, we are not really in a struggle against the desires of the flesh, all of those things. On the contrary, he says that we who are in Christ should consider ourselves dead to sin. So what is he basically saying? Well, he says, don't have a fight with a corpse. It looks silly and it's rather a bad idea. And yet that is exactly what we sometimes do. We forget that we were crucified with Christ and we are also resurrected with him. Now, what does all of this says to us? It says some to, something to us about where our focus needs to be, not on the to-do or not-to-do lists, but on who he is, what he has done, and what that means for who we are, our new identity as children of God, dead to sin and alive in the Spirit. So what is our part in this? Well, if we find ourselves with unwanted desires, if we seem to find ourselves in a constant battle, if we carry this sense of being broken, 
How can this change? How can it become different? Well, number one, stop trying. Peter Heldorf, a friend of mine and an influential figure in the Christian landscape of Sweden, uh, has put it like this in one of his wonderful books. He says, there is a battle that you can only win by dying, not by resisting. The Christian battle is not so much about resisting sin, but to open their lives for the spirit. Stop trying to be vigilant and strong, trying to suppress the evil desires. Rather seek out the sources that renew your mind. What are those sources? Well, they are the sources that remind us of who God is, what Jesus did for us, and as a consequence, who we are. So stop trying. That is the first point. The second point is hold on. To those who believed in, in him, Jesus said following. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So how do we do that? Holding on to the teaching of Jesus. And there could obviously be many ways, but I have become familiar with one particular way of doing it, which is through the steps process. Basically, what we do in that process is that we constantly remind ourselves of our powerlessness in terms of fixing ourselves. And then we keep reminding ourselves about who God is, what he has done, and what that means for us. As I was preparing this talk, a friend of mine on the current course called me and talked about how he was experiencing that something profound had started to shift in his life. This was his third or fourth course, so we're not talking about a quick fix here. Nevertheless, what he said was this. He said, there are certain areas where I have excused myself because of being victim to certain circumstances. Basically, I thought that God obviously didn't care since he allowed these things to happen. So why should I care? So I allowed certain desires and behaviors in my life for that reason. Now I experience a change. I realize that God actually did care and that he does. And as I am realizing this, my desires are starting to change for the better. Now we both celebrated this amazing thing and we both reflected on how much we need to go the long walk and hold on to the truth about God until they start penetrating our way of thinking and our perception of ourselves, who we are. Number three, and the last point is take back the narrative. I remember one time long ago when I was to lead a new church and there was this one particular person that I talked to that really made an impression. There was definitely a sense of calling, a deep longing to serve God and a love for people. And yet, when I asked others about him, the narrative wasn't a very positive one. They kept talking about things in the past that weren't very good. To my surprise, they weren't the only ones holding on to this bad narrative. He was too. And this led to a long journey of conversations and prayer, and I simply insisted on a different narrative. I held on to who God is, what he has done, and what that meant for this person's identity. It took a while, but slowly the narrative started to change. First his own, which led to visible changes in his life, which again meant that narrative of the others started to change. Now, please take notice how much Jesus does this to his disciples and how much Paul is doing it to us in his letters. They are talking about us as the light of the world. He says, you are dearly loved children and heirs of God. 
You are a new creation. You are made alive with Christ. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. You are members of God's household. And the list simply goes on. Now, if you have lost this narrative over your life, take it back. This is what God speaks over us. And it's time for us to agree with him and speak the same narrative over ourselves. And indeed, over others as well. I remember one afternoon many years ago when I was sitting very relaxed in the sofa with my three-year-old son sitting next to me. I was leaning back and had my feet on the coffee table and suddenly I sensed some movements next to me. So this was my three-year-old trying to position his small body to sit exactly as I was doing. So he was stretching everything he could and did this, this to make his feet touch the coffee table whilst leaning back to, to touch the sofa. It did not look very comfortable at all, but he had a very satisfied smile on his face when he finally managed to get into position. Now, I didn't have to ask him. This was the most natural thing in the world. It happened by itself as a result of a love-based community between him and me. He simply wanted to be like me. Now, this, of course, is a very simple story, but really it's a picture of how the Holy Spirit works in us. He reminds us of who God is, what he has done, and therefore about who we are, his children. And when we give into that, instead of trying to fix ourselves, when we remain in that, instead of seeking quick fix solutions, when we start agreeing with this narrative and tell it over ourselves and others, then we walk in step with the Spirit. And then the desires and the fruits of this life in the Spirit naturally grows and matures in us. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to ChristChurchLondon.org.